0: why baptism? Like, I get it, but what are we doing here? Because really, I mean, think about all the different things that you've seen regarding baptism. You see the old country preacher dunking people in the river, Baptist boy, down at Hickory Springs Church. Then I go to another church and I see a little baby dressed in a little white outfit and get sprinkled on their head. You can even go on YouTube and uh, Google, don't do it now, Georgian... Georgian Orthodox baptism. They take babies, take them upside down by the legs and dip them under three times and you're going, what just happened there? You go to jail in America. Needless to say, people have all kinds of views about baptism. The problem with that is, baptism was not designed to be a -a build-a-bear. You figure it out. Baptism was God's idea. And the Bible tells us how and why and what it's for. And even though there's a lot of people who have changed it, It's really important as a Christian or as an explorer to go, what does the Bible actually say about baptism? And then to ask yourself, have I been baptized for the right reasons and the right method? So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, we always invite people to take one of our Bibles. We give them out. If you're new, I know I didn't read the Bible growing up and suddenly I went to a church and I was like, wait, what? You could read the Bible? So you're welcome to keep this Bible if you don't have one. But as you read the Bible, you notice that Jesus, when he was on earth, was on a mission. He was on a mission to die. He knew exactly what he was coming for. He was coming to die on the cross for our sins. So it's really interesting that right before he died, right before, like the night before he died, he introduced a ritual. He said, I want you to do this. And then after he died and rose again, he introduced another ritual, and he goes, I want you to do this. And both of these rituals, these symbols, both have to do with when he died and rose again. So the first one, and you've probably heard it called the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, or a communion, that was his idea. Right before he died, he said, listen, I'm about to die. He said, this bread and this Cup represent my body and my blood, which is broken and shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we have we continue to do that. We continue to have the Lord's table because we remember that. But then after he rose from the dead, he said in Matthew 28, and we're going to read the passage, go make disciples and baptize them. So now he's got another ritual, another symbol. He says, this is what I want you to do. And again, it relates to his death and his resurrection. And so this morning, I want to mention that these two things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are related to what it means to be a Christian. Baptism is your public announcement that you are a Christian. Communion is your ongoing reaffirmation of your faith in Christ. It's kind of like your ongoing anniversary celebration, remembering back to that initial decision. So as we begin this morning, I want you to think about what does it mean to be a disciple who is baptized? And then why did Jesus want us to be baptized? So look with me in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Jesus had died on the cross. The disciples were stunned, stupefied, concerned, afraid, confused. What the heck just happened? Some people said he rose from the dead. So he says, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. When they get there, Jesus meets them after he's risen from the dead. Now, that talk about being freaked out. Can you imagine going to a funeral and then coming home and the guy that died is sitting in the couch in the living room? You would freak out. So Jesus meets them. He meets them. And it says in verse 16, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some were doubtful. You go, what's the matter? Who was that doubting, Thomas? You would be doubtful too. If you went to your brother's funeral and he's sitting on the couch when he got home, you would probably go, What just happened? So, in their confused state, Jesus came up and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it, it just, wait, what did he just say? All authority, all authority. Like, I'm the boss of everything. In heaven, like all the angels, whatever goes on up there, I'm the boss. On earth, yep, I'm the boss. I control the weather. I control governments. I control the devil. I control people. Everything is under my rule. I'm the boss. There's no co-leadership. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All authority is given to me. Okay? Then he says to these guys, but here's what I want you to do. Now you go, therefore, and since all authority is given to me, and you make disciples of all the nations. What in the world does that mean, to make a disciple? Hey, what you're making there? Disciples? <laughs> How do you do that? Well, he says, you make a disciple, and then you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, good luck with that. Hey, nice to meet you. You want to follow Jesus and obey everything he commanded? No, thanks. Are you crazy, Lord? How am I going to get people to completely be radically changed? He said, you're not. I'll do it. Just look at the end of the verse. He said, I'm with you always. If I was standing up here in hopes that I could persuade you to become a disciple with my wittiness or my intellectual ability to persuade you, I'm out of here. But I know I'm standing up here with the authority of the Lord Jesus, and he's with me. And his power through the Holy Spirit is working in all of us. And he is saying, I'll help you to do this. So let's start by asking the question, what is a disciple? A disciple is a person who is a follower. He is a committed person who has made a clear decision. He's not just curious, scoping it out. He's all in. A disciple is someone who has made a decision. Jesus said... Go and make disciples. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without having two previous things happen. Number one, you need information. And number two, you need to respond to an invitation. I'm saying it again. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus until you have heard information of which you have to decide whether you will respond to that information with an invitation. So the information is simply from Jesus. He said, go into all the world and tell them several things. Tell them, number one, that I died for their sins. Which, again, the implication is there, hey, I got some bad news for you. You're a sinner. Oh, no, pastor, I'm not a drug addict. I'm a good person. "Uh, Sorry, Jesus says we're all sinners. Go into all the world and tell the world. This is what he said. Preach the gospel. Tell them that I died on the cross and I was punished. For their sins. I didn't split it with them. I didn't say you pay some. I'll pay some. I hung there and I said. It is finished. And God punished me completely for their sins. In six hours one Friday. I bore hell for sinners. And tell them this. And three days later. I came out of the grave. And I'm going back to heaven. And tell them one more thing. I'm coming again. And when I come. I'm going to judge every single person. Big, small, rich, poor. Smart, dumb, everyone will stand before me. I will judge all the living and the dead. That's the information. Jesus is Lord of all. He came to this earth. He died to pay for your sin, and he rose again. Greater, we all going to heaven? Hold your horses. Then he said, now give an invitation. What do you mean? Tell them to repent and believe. Tell them to repent and believe. What do you mean, Jesus? To repent means to change your mind. It means to go, hey, as I've begun to read the Bible, I've realized that my way was the wrong way. Now, there's different things that you have to repent from. Some people have to repent from being an irreligious sinner. An irreligious sinner just says, I don't care about God. I just do whatever I want. The Bible says, repent of your sin. Be willing to turn from your sin. You cannot be a Christian if you're not willing to turn from your sin. If you go, no, I'm not not changing my life. I like doing that stuff. So be willing to turn from your irreligious life. Radically be willing to turn to God. But some of you need to repent from your religiosity. You need to repent from your self-righteousness. I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. But tell them all, repent. And then he says, and believe, turn and trust. Believe that what he did on the cross paid for your sin. That when he shed his blood, he did everything that I need to get to heaven. And so I'm clinging to him. I'm relying on him. I'm giving my life to him. And I am trusting him to go to heaven. So please, it does not mean to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in the Easter Bunny? No. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, you're going to heaven. No. So it is a personal response to an invitation repent and believe now you don't need to know exactly when you made that decision in fact frequently people will go and you just heard it and I hear it all the time I'm not sure I think it was when I was four I think it was when I was nine you don't need to know when you made that decision but you need to know that you made the decision I did not see the sunrise this morning but I'm sure the sun's out okay so some of you go well I prayed to receive Christ when I was nine I think I prayed when I was you know are you willing to follow and obey Jesus? If you say no, then you have to go, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Are you trusting that Jesus died for your sins? If you were to die right now and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What comes to your mind? Do you go, well, I I hope I did my best. Then you're not trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in you. If you say, I'm too bad, I, I, he won't let me into heaven, I'm too evil, then you're not trusting in Jesus. You don't believe that what he did was enough. So you, you become a disciple when you, when you respond to that invitation. You become a Christian. The Bible calls that being saved. Sometimes it calls, calls it receiving Christ, giving your life to Christ, calling upon the name of the Lord, turning to God right? So, you become a Christian, and then Jesus says, welcome to the family. Now, make disciples and baptize them. And you go, well, Jesus, wait, what, why? Well, let me start with this. Here's not why. To get into this water has no saving value, okay? Here's why. It is deeply symbolic Several things happen inside of you when you became a Christian that are invisible. Baptism makes them visible so we can see the symbols. And I want to review four reasons from the Bible why we get baptized. Four deeply symbolic things. Number one, getting baptized is a symbol that I have been washed. Hear me carefully. Not I'm getting washed, I have been washed. The oldest method of washing away dirt in history on planet Earth is very simple, water. Before there was OxyClean and Tide and Spot and Shouted Out was water. And so from the very beginning, God began to symbolize sin as dirty and water as washing. There are some very graphic displays in the Bible of how our sinfulness is described as being dirty. For example, the Bible says if someone says they're a Christian and they go back to their life of sin, that's like a pig going back to mud. That's dirty. The Bible says if someone becomes a Christian in 2 Peter 2 and he goes back to his life of sin, that's like a dog going back to its vomit. That's filthy. The Bible actually uses doo-doo, mess, excrement to describe sin. Zechariah chapter 3 says, I saw the high priest and his filthy garments. And the Hebrew word there, he's covered with excrement. He's a filthy mess. God, as he looks at humans, we are a mess. We're dirty. Now, you might be offended by that. Are you crazy? I am crispy, clean, and, and I just had a shower. Trust me when God says, you are unclean. You ever see a CSI movie and they're like, oh, I don't see anything, and then they put a black light on it and suddenly, whoa, look at all that, right? This book will suddenly shine light on your soul, and you will go, whoa is me, I am unclean. I don't have to be a crackhead to go, the thoughts that go through my mind, the things I've done, the things I should have done that I didn't do, I am dirty, So early on, God wanted to symbolize, but water is what cleanses. So when he introduced the the priesthood, he said, all right, in Exodus chapter 40, he says, you shall take Aaron to the doorway and wash him with water and put holy garments on him. That water didn't wash away his sins. It was a picture. Later on, as God anticipated that Jesus would come to earth, he said in, in Ezekiel, listen to this verse. He said, one day I'll gather you from the nations, Ezekiel 36 and I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you will become clean. Again, it's a symbol. The water doesn't wash away your sins. I had a person come to me one time. They said, Pastor, I got a question. I struggle with homosexual attraction. And rather than go, i a dirty animal, I struggle with sexual attraction to people other than my wife. You do? We all do. We're all sinners, right? But this person said, but pastor, I found a church that says it's okay to be a practicing homosexual. Like I could just keep being a homosexual. So is it okay if I identify myself as a Christian homosexual? So I said, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and 13. I want you to turn with me too. That wasn't like... Rhetorical. God's not picking on this one sin of homosexuality. What if you're a fornicator? What if you're a liar? What if you're a thief? How should I identify myself as a Christian? So Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, listen, if you're going to continue to fornicate, if you're going to continue to lie, if you're going to continue to steal, if you're going to continue to practice homosexual behavior, you're not a Christian. So in answer to the question when he says, Can I call myself a Christian homosexual or a Christian adulterer or a Christian liar? No. But instead, look what he says in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, people who have had no repentance, don't be deceived. In other words, just because grandma told you you said a prayer, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But this is a great verse. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Look at this phrase. But you were washed. So, Pastor, can I be a Christian homosexual? No. You're a Christian who struggles with homosexual attraction, but you were washed. Once and for all, when you became a Christian, God washed away the stain of all of our sin. Not just the past, the present, and the future. Once and for all, you are fully and finally forgiven. Now, the irony is, while water pictures it, the Bible pulls a bait and switch on us. Because suddenly, it starts talking about the blood of Jesus washing us. Wait, what? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Christ poured out His blood on the cross, and the Bible says Jesus washes us from our sins in His blood. The idea is because He died and shed His blood, He could take my stained soul, my sin-sick soul, and wash it clean. The book of Revelation says, blessed are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. We used to sing, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? You go, that's weird. You better get ready for it. Because when you get to heaven, the Bible says we're going to worship Jesus. You who loved us and washed us from our sins in your precious blood. So it might seem odd to some of you to sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But to those of us whose eyes have been opened by God, that's not odd. That's beauty. I like that. I praise the Lord that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. So when a person gets into the water, they're simply saying, I am celebrating the grace of God. He washed me from my sins. I didn't deserve it. I'm so thankful. Secondly, though, the second thing it pictures is that we have died. So there's a reason why we don't sprinkle people. We immerse them underwater. Not because it's our idea, but because the Bible says we are buried with him in baptism. I want you to turn with me to Romans 6. And I want to ask you a question. What do you do when something is dead? You bury it. For a variety of reasons, when something is dead, you bury it. You don't leave your animal laying in the yard. You bury dead things. And you don't want to dig them up. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel of grace. He says, come freely. Jesus will forgive you. Come freely and be washed in his blood. No matter what you've done, come as you are and be saved. But some people got the idea, can I stay as I am? Can I get washed and keep on sinning? And he goes, are you crazy? Look at this. What shall we say then, Romans 6, 1? Are we to continue sinning so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now look at the next verse. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. When things die, you bury them. So when a person gets in the water and they go under that water, they're saying, I'm not who I used to be. Heard a story one time I thought was really funny. One day, this family, their dog came home with the neighbor's rabbit. Dead and dirty, right? This white rabbit covered in mud and in the dog's mouth. And they took the rabbit out. And they're like, oh, golly, what are we going to do? So this is nasty and naughty, and they shouldn't have done it. But they washed the rabbit real clean. And late in the middle of the night, they went to the neighbor's yard and they put the rabbit in the cage. Figured that the neighbors aren't going to do an autopsy. They'll just go, ah, oh. Fluffy had a heart attack. The next day, the neighbors came and knocked on their door. They go, you're not going to believe what I- This is crazy. Our rabbit died and we buried it. And it was in his cage this morning, all clean. When something dies, you bury it. And you leave it there. And I want you to think about that. If you're a Christian, you and I have died to the old life. We didn't just get a little peaked. We died to it. And when you're dead to something, you're walking away from it. St. Augustine had a famous saying about this. If you know anything about St. Augustine, he was a fornicator. But when he came to Christ, he realized, I don't want to keep doing that. I'm a forgiven sinner. But he ran across one of his old girlfriends, and she literally was chasing him down the street, calling him, Augustine, stop, it's me, it's me, it's I, Augustine, Augustine. And he turned around and he said, yeah, but it's no longer I. And sometimes you and I as a Christian need to remember that. Whether you were saved at 4 or 40 or 14, you're dead to sin, you're dead to your old life. That's why you're buried. But the proverbial joke is, don't hold me down there too long, preacher, don't drown me. Third point. We're not just buried in baptism. The Bible says we're raised with him. Keep reading. We're buried because we died to sin. But look what it says. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the third thing that baptism pictures is rising to a new life in Christ. I am washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm not who I used to be. Now I'm here. I'm alive. I'm connected to God through Jesus. And I want to try to live for him. I'm a new creature in Christ. God doesn't just go, all right, I forgive you, now knock it off. He totally, radically changes us on the inside The Bible says He takes away your heart of stone and He gives you a heart of flesh. He causes us to want to walk in His commandments. If you haven't experienced that, if you think it's weird to read the Bible and do Christian stuff, maybe you haven't gotten a new heart. But when you get a new heart, it's not that weird because you're born again. And God begins to work in us to will and work for His good pleasure. Christians aren't just, you know, trying to get it right this time. They're new It's not just a little adjustment, it's an extreme transformation, and so picture yourself. Paul's going to say in Romans 6, so consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So we're living out our new life, and it ought to be evident. If you live just exactly like you used to live when you weren't saved, you're mocking your baptism. But there's a fourth one that very few people talk about, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 as we... Wind down here. In 1 Corinthians 12, there's actually a fourth visualization that baptism pictures. Some people have never thought about this. And that is that when you become a Christian, it's not just that you and Jesus are forgiven, it's now you are placed into a family, you are connected. Believing becomes belonging to an assembly of other Christians. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul thinks of the human body. He goes, even the body is one and has many members. All the members of the body, though they're many, are one body. So also is Christ. Now look at verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Now think about that. When you became a Christian, you were put into the body of Christ. Now please help me with this. If you saw an arm walking down the street, that would be awkward. Hey man, where's your body? Right? Right? I don't want to hear about trading arms with Iran. Where's your body? Like, what what are you doing, right? But isn't that what many Christians do? They go, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I'm more of a Burger King Christian. I just do it my way. There's no such thing in the Bible as being a Christian and not being part of a community. You won't find it. And so you could talk all day long about how you can worship God on the deer stand and I don't need to go to church and I'm going to tell you, stop talking if you want to go to the Bible because you won't find that in the Bible. The Bible teaches that Christians become part of a community, and it's not optional to gather regularly with other Christians. It's mind-boggling in America how many Christians are just like, well, you know, it's kind of like we're, if there's nothing else going on. Hebrews 10, mark it down. Somebody asked me after last service, where's that verse? So that I don't have to answer this. Mark it down. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Say it once more. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Don't ask me afterward. All right, I'll still tell you, but I wish you would write it down. It says, Do not forsake assembling together as the habit of some is. Stop forsaking the assembly of Christians, but encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. Now, at that time, people who were calling themselves Christians and who had baptized were stopping coming on Sunday because they were being persecuted. But that's not what's happening in America. In America, People aren't fair weather friends with church because they're being persecuted. It's because we got too many other things going on. By one spirit, we've been baptized into one body. So, if you are not part of a local community of Christians, that's what you were doing, what you should be doing is get committed to a local church. You say, I know what you're doing, preacher. You're trying to get our money. Well, number one, we're not trying to get your money. I don't know who gives. And frankly, if this church isn't for you, that's fine. But find a church that preaches the Bible and get plugged in. Baptism is a symbol that you have been part of a community. You go, well, we try to get there once a month if it's not nice at the beach. Billy has baseball. Barry has boxing. You know, we, that's the only day I can sleep in. That's when I go shopping. There's a difference between good sounds, excuses, and excuses that sounds good. Christians are to be committed to other Christians in a local church under elders, not just me and my boys, we get together and we two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. That is not a church. A church is a group of baptized believers who commit themselves to gather week after week under elders, willing to be disciplined, not come and go like a Bible conference, engaged, using their gifts, serving one another, giving to the church, working together to advance the gospel. Many of you have done that, and you know the blessing, and you know the joy, and you know the value of raising your kids in that context. For those of you who aren't there yet, I want to challenge you to think about that. So, we've seen that this symbolic baptism is to show I've been washed I'm dead to my sin I'm alive to God to live for Him and I'm part of a body so as we close this morning I want to say this so let's from now on picture baptism with a couple things number one it's a press conference okay you just saw a press conference remember LeBron his big announcement this is where you come out and you go I am ready to follow Christ I am announcing a new loyalty. I have a new director, and I'm going in a new direction. He said, oh, I'm, you know, that's not for me. Well, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Right? And you say, well, you know, I, what am I going to do with my hair? Somebody said, that. what am I going to do with my hair? I go, you've got bigger issues to worry about then, if you're more worried about your hair. So if, you, if you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, you need to get your press conference on. And some of you go, well, you know, Pastor, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. Okay? So you were publicly announcing your faith in Christ? You were publicly identifying that you've been washed and you've died to sin? Hardly. I was sprinkled as a baby, but when I learned the Bible and I got saved, I'm like, I wasn't baptized as a believer. So, well, that's your opinion. Well, show me in the Bible where they sprinkle babies. Now, pardon my pun here, but I personally don't like Dunkin' munchkins. I don't want to argue, if you're a Christian and you were baptized as a baby, I personally would say, number one, if you were sprinkled, that's not even baptism. There's a different word in the Bible. Baptism means to immerse. How do you symbolize dying to sin and rising with a little sprinkling? So, If you haven't yet been baptized, I encourage you to do that. But not because I said so, but because Jesus said so. Imagine Jesus says, go make disciples, teach them to obey. Start with baptism. I'm a disciple, I'm just not getting baptized. Is it me? Jesus says, why would you call me Lord? You won't do what I say. So, but then a couple other things. It's also a funeral announcement. I hate funerals. But I love Christian baptisms because it's a happy funeral. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That person died to sin. They're not who they used to be. It's also a birth announcement. Hey, we got a new member in the family, a new believer. Praise the Lord. And it's finally an extreme makeover. Only extreme makeovers on television start with the outside. Christian extreme makeovers start with the inside. We say beauty is only skin deep, but when it's Christian makeover, it starts on the inside, but it better start coming out in your skin. Because if God changes your heart, eventually it's going to start changing your life. Changing the way you think, the way you believe, your values, what you do with your time, your money, and everything related to that. So, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to take a visit to your gravestone. If you go, I was baptized, and go, all right, how's that going? Martin Luther used to tell people, remember your baptism. Just recalculate. Reflect. Remember your new identity. Some of you renounce sin and you claim to be washed, but now you're going back to your sins like a pig to its vomit. How many of you like Shark Tank? You know who gets on my nerves? Kevin. <laughs> and this is what he says. You're dead to me. I'll crush you like a cockroach. You're dead to me. That's mean, but I like that phrase. Because when it comes to sin that's how we should live. I'm dead to you and you're dead to me. The Bible says don't you know that you've died with Christ to sin? So we need to be praying for one another that through the power of the Holy Spirit we won't go oh you know I'm not perfect I'm just forgiven. Let's strive to keep our hearts right with God. When we sin let's repent quickly and be washed in the blood and seek to live out our Christian faith. Reflecting I'm not just a filthy sinner saved by grace. I'm a blood-washed child of God on my way to heaven. And I have the capacity not just to be a disciple, but to make disciples. Because that's powerful. I can preach a sermon, but you just heard four sermons from people who are making disciples, who are being disciples. But if you're not a Christian, let me just say this. You're either in or out. Sometimes I'll see a really good sale and they'll go, this offer will not last forever. Neither will Jesus' offer last forever. Jesus Christ is offering you today. Come. That was one of his favorite things. Come to me. Come. Repentably be willing to follow me. Say, "Uh, I want to do that, Jesus, but... I mean I know the offer won't last forever, but come on, I'm young, I got time. Now, I, I mean this in all respect. When Kobe got in that chopper that day and closed that door, I highly doubt that he knew that he was going to meet his maker. So for those of you who go, Well, I want to come to Jesus, but I got all kind of time. That's a bad gamble. The Bible says, don't boast about tomorrow. There's an urgency to responding to Jesus. Lord, I want to follow. I want to repent and believe. I want to be forgiven. And if you have responded to Jesus, then come and let's talk about your baptism. And if you've lost your way, Jesus doesn't go, you're off the team and out of the family. He never kicks his kids off the team, but you might need to come back. You might need to come back. Isaiah was a Christian. But when the Lord confronted him and he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me, I'm unclean. And the Lord didn't say, get out of here, you unclean sinner. He said, now you're clean. And then Isaiah said, send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. As you grasp, and as I grasp the mercy of Christ, I'm forgiven. And wow, he washed me. If he washed me, who will wash you. Send me, Lord. What a joy to have a church full of Christians that would say, send me, Lord. Send me. And Jesus said, and I'm with you always. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we got to watch this baptism of these four folks and one earlier. We pray you'll bless them. We pray that they will grow. We pray that they will be a testimony. And we pray for those who are not yet saved that they will come, repent, believe, and become Christ followers. And those of us who have been saved, thank you so much, Lord, We so don't deserve your mercy. And the devil may be heaping guilt upon us and we might feel very dirty this morning. But thank you that we've been washed. And in any way that we've been returning to our mud, forgive us and help us to walk in the new life that Christ has. Bless your people today and strengthen us as a church. May we talk about your word with one another. May we make disciples of every man and woman, boy and girl that we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.